This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we've got some sponsors for the pod now. Wait, what? Every link you need for the things we talk about here is at artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors. First up, books. If you're into this podcast, Odds are you're probably a reader. We've got links to buy new books from bookshop.org and used books from alibris.com. And if you want to listen to your books, we recommend and use audible.com. It's great and the catalog is huge. All right. So if you're listening to this, you are online. Maybe you're very online. You probably have a website or are thinking of starting one. Maybe you want a website like artofdarkpod.com. We built that with WordPress, which is by far the most popular way to create websites. And the single best host for serious WordPress is WP Engine. I've personally used them for over a decade now, and I don't host my websites anywhere else. Go to artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors and click on the WP Engine link to learn more. Finally, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Get the bonus After Dark content for every episode, access to the book club, and more. Thanks for supporting Art of Darkness. And I, I don't think that was too painful. I think no, we did a pretty good job good. there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, this is my co-host, Kevin Kautzman. Kevin, how are you doing? Never better. Never We're coming better. off of Art of Darkness Live. It's Gerald Part 1 in Winter Dreams here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. We're back in the saddle. Yeah. We're yeah. back home doing yeah. it. Yeah, that was so. that was fun. It's it's uh we, that was a bit of a high doing doing the first live show with an audience, getting to meet you know a few of you people out there. That was mm -hmm. awesome. So, uh, coming again in twenty twenty four. Details to follow in Detroit, in sunny, beautiful Detroit, Michigan is where we're gonna do it. So, um, uh, anyway, um, I'm also excited to talk about Andre Tarkovsky. If you clicked on this link, you probably know that's what you're listening to. Um, we as People may or may not know the way that this show works. We do a core episode on a subject, um, multiple hours, whatever it takes to tell the story about that person's life and work. Um, we did an episode fairly recently on Andre Tarkovsky, three or four hours, telling the whole life story, talking about the films. I tried to get people who don't. I'm trying to get people who don't get Tarkovsky to get Tarkovsky is what I tried to do. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully I succeeded a little bit at that here and there. Um, but we do those main episodes, those core episodes. And then we have this, this kind of episode called the dark room. We bring in somebody else who has uh, a different perspective, maybe a deeper perspective, maybe just kind of an alternate perspective or somebody who wants to talk about one of these subjects. And we go for about an hour um, a little less structured, a little informal, and they often go into interesting places. And so to do that, we have brought the uh, amazing, talented, brilliant 
Ewan Morrison. Um, Ewan is the award-winning author of eight novels, including most recently How to Survive Everything, which Publishers Weekly has called an outstanding thriller, and about which Ian Rankin has said, quote, I wasn't sure there could be a great pandemic novel. Here it is. Uh, his novel, Nina X, about an extraordinary young woman who is raised from birth in ideological purity in a commune cult and then escapes into our modern world, won, among other things, the Saltire Society Book of the Year Award, the, which is the biggest literary award in Scotland, and is currently being developed into a film by director David McKenzie. Morrison has also adapted his own his his own novel, Swung. Uh, the great Irvin Welsh has called Morrison, one of the most provocative, intelligent, and original novelists working in Britain today. So we are honored, um, <laughs> Ewan, to have you with us to talk Tarkovsky. Um, first, just hello. How are you? I'm good, guys, and thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think this this kind of correspondence started up. Um, we did our episode on Tarkovsky, and then I saw you were you were uh, had some great insights. We're doing some poll quotes on Tarkovsky, sharing some images, um, and I reached out because I thought this guy um, is going to be able to s tell me something even more about Tarkovsky. Because even this was one. Just let mm. me spill for a second. When we started preparing for that episode. I wasn't as deep on Tarkovsky as I am now. I had, hadn't watched everything. I hadn't read much about him. I didn't know much about him as a person. Um, and like, I feel like in doing that episode, I only kind of made half the journey of of totally understanding the Tarkovsky mm -hmm. thing. So I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, maybe hey, I can... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You know, that was one of these interesting little moments on Twitter where uh, there was just this beautiful image which comes from um, Mirror by Tarkovsky, which is probably his avant-garde masterpiece. It's of a little bird landing on a boy's head. Mm -hmm. And there was just a little quote from Tarkovsky that I matched with it, which said that the death of childhood is the birth of poetry. Mm. And it was a bit of a conversation piece with people on the net. And some people were like, God damn it, that's a horrible thing to say. And other people were like, yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. And it ended up having 1.5 million views. Whoa. Yeah. So uh, it, it was it was a viral thing. It's yeah. not it's but it's just one of these unique freaks that that sort of happens. So someone tweets a bit Tarkovsky and it gets over a million views. Yeah. It's not it's nuts Amazing. because you know Tarkovsky's probably well, he's one of the more rarefied great directors of the 20th century. But I really think that he's got a bit of a cult following now because of the internet that mm -hmm. he didn't have he didn't have before. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's a lot yeah. of people to to discover it and your people are getting introduced to him in different ways, like with that post. I'm sure somebody it sounds like more than one person probably went and checked yeah, yeah. out a Tarkovsky film based on that tweet. I mean, one point one five million. It's funny how those tweets work. You couldn't engineer a tweet to get yeah. one and a half million, right? You couldn't figure it out <laughs> beforehand and be like, no. that's the one. They have to yeah. which is almost the Tarkovsky and kind of thing in and of itself. Um yeah. And, you know, the, that was I was kind of surprised, too, when we were doing the research to find that when Stalker came out on the Criterion mm. channel for mm. a while, anyway, it was the most viewed film on Criterion, which, you know, that's a huge library of films. Right. It's a lot of that's a lot of stiff competition. So there certainly is a cult following out there. What What is when when um, I know you, you kind of caught on with that tweet caught on, say, but um when you think of like Tarkovsky, is the mirror the first film that comes to mind? Well, 
I think it is for me. I think most people get pulled in with Stalker or Solaris, and some people get pulled in by the Steven Soderbergh remake with the absolutely captivating Natasha McLeon with those big eyes of hers. Mm. And it's like impossible to watch that movie and not be stunned by, you know, beauty, Mm -hmm. not just the beauty of her, but the cinematography. And that then leads people to Tarkovsky's third film, which was Solaris, which was the film that he didn't like. Um, He felt it was, it was, um, He'd been compromised in the making of it. And interestingly enough, it was his reply to 2001, A Space Odyssey. And it was one of the last films as well that he made with funding from the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union, um, they had a sort of film school um, system where you went through film school and then you went on to become a director and then you worked for Moz Films, which is mm-hmm. from Moscow. You right. Know, so it was all vertically all, integrated, right? All was, vertically okay. integrated, yeah. state-controlled. And Tarkovsky was this weird freak who was really into, you know, mysticism and, you know, under the table, he was probably like a Christian as well. And he was into dream sequences and the subconscious. And eventually, you know, it became his sort of undoing with the Soviet system. But we can talk about that, you know, a bit later. But he was producing increasingly non-Soviet friendly movies. Uh, And I think what, the one that pulled me in was was Mirror, which was his fourth movie just after Solaris. Mm. And um, so it's a sort of impressionistic dream-like um, story. It's actually biographical in that it was originally supposed to just be about his mother. I've got mm. the pitch document for it that he gave to the Soviet Union. And it's really the story of a woman who's lived through the Soviet revolution and has become old. It was supposed to feature interviews with his mother all the way through and was supposed to be a bit of propaganda. But yeah. All that ended up on the editing floor if it was ever shot. And then you've got this movie instead full of these exquisite long dream sequences with these huge tracking shots of, you know, there's this beautiful image of a woman floating above a bed that's, that, I mean, I think everyone knows that image. It's so exquisite. And there's that other one as well of uh, tracking through a peasant house and then coming across um, the view from the back door of a burning house beyond. It's just so dream. I'm with children looking in the foreground. And it's these things are were so stunning to see. I think probably unmatched in cinematic beauty in the history of cinema. And, and Certainly, they've gone on to inspire many other um, many other film directors. But it was the combination of, of the fact that this movie was just like a dream. I mean, from beginning to end, you, you were in and out of time and you couldn't tell whether the mother was the same person as the wife, uh, and, you know, jumping through 30, 40 years. Um, and just it was all extraordinarily um, emotional for something that was so abstract yeah and yeah I, yeah for it's hmm. it's as a plot as plot wise it's incoherent yeah. almost oh, right yeah, but, yeah yeah it's almost impossible to follow there is like a man who's dying of cancer foreshadowing you know tarkovsky's own death you know within a decade um there's um negotiations over who gets a kid again you know foreshadowing stuff that happened in his own life when you know when when Tarkovsky yeah what's it called when you when you 
leave a country like a vast country and you do it discreetly and you're not allowed back again oh yeah i don't know sneak out (laughs) he was a refugee sort of i mean yeah no he was he was a refugee in italy yeah Yeah. because he escaped from the soviet union and then he had custody Mm -hmm. trouble with his child um yeah i don't know that he ever saw his children once he left russia I, I think, think he saw. His, I think he saw his son once. Once have. again, yeah. But it was many, many, many years afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I get caught up in the mythos of the film and and the yeah. making of the films after having watched Mirror so many times to try. Oh, to, yeah. To try to sort of crack it, and to sort of work out how the hell it was put together. I mean, one of the really interesting things about it is that he tricked the Soviet Union. Um, into making an extraordinarily exquisite art house movie based on a dream. It was really, in the end, nothing to do with, you know, the story of a woman who'd lived through the Russian Revolution. And um, the Soviet film authorities were absolutely furious. Yeah, and um, they wanted to shut it down like they'd, uh, like they'd pretty much shut down Andrei Rublev, which was his second film. Um, but someone snuck a copy of the film out to the Cannes Film Festival. And then, you know, it started getting all this praise and plaudits from the world's critics. So then the Soviet Union had their hands tied because they're going like, well, you know, we have to prove that the Soviet Union is the best place to make movies. So we can't pull this movie or stop this movie being seen. So we'll just pretend that we were behind it from the start. Right, right. Yeah, there was a, there were lots of interesting tactics they, they would pull on him to try and rein him in throughout his career. Mm. I know in, at one point, I think in 1980, they awarded him the, the People's Artist Award, which yeah. from my take was, you know, one of the major art awards. And it seemed like at the same time, they were also not, you know, not helping him in any way. And it seemed like, they mm-hmm. did that so when he left the country nobody mm-hmm. would believe that he's being sort of repressed right it's like well you're right. the yeah. you're the yeah. people's artist how could you possibly be being you know sabotaged by your own government they love you right yeah i'll confess now too that i'm playing a little bit of catch up i was watching mirror uh today and i made a terrible mistake because i was watching it on prime with ads oh, yeah. in the middle. <laughs> I it was some of the most jarring and I I'll yeah. it wasn't a proper screening and I'm going to properly screen it for myself and keep an eye out too because you know maybe an art house cinema will I'd love to see it on the big screen because I yeah. know that would, yeah you know that's just exactly like when I find one of these things on YouTube that says sleep for 12 hours listening to this calming noise and you put it on and you're an hour in and then suddenly you go hey have you heard the latest stupid advert that wakes you up two in the morning you know yeah it had yeah and of course very i mean just talk about irony he makes this under the soviet union and now it's being used by amazon to sell burgers or something just too too strange i wonder what he would think of that he'd probably shoot the computer Oh yeah. oh yeah 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 no I'd, i don't think he'd, he'd like much about the modern world actually yeah. um you know there's actually a, a beautiful pristine copy of again talking politics um just after russia invaded ukraine mozfilm in russia decided to put out all these classic films of theirs for free on youtube and really nice prints um, yeah, they look great. This is where yeah, I've watched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you know, you can find Mirror and uh, Stalker there as well. I'm not sure, or is, is it Solar? Stalker. Everything up to Stalker is there, I mm. believe. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, no, those are just really fantastic places to watch his films. Yeah, you know, they're good. They're gorgeous. They did. You can. It's on render. like you know HD, so you can plug it into your big TV and get the full effect as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it was. It, it is interesting to me. Then the mirror is one I'll probably. I, I I'm going to have to watch again. But there is this mm-hmm. interesting thing where he goes from Solaris to the mirror, basically because uh, you know, in our terms, I think he considered Solaris selling out. Which yeah is sort of fascinating because it's it is similarly it's not like he made transformers or something right i mean it's similar it's a very sure. it's, it's still a very high-minded film in my opinion solaris is yeah yeah and it's miles away from where the book was that it was you know that it was based on have um, you have you read that have you read yeah yeah ones? okay yeah I'm, I'm sorry i'm such a such a tarkovsky nerd i yeah. tend to, try to find I, the books that that uh that the uh films were based on yeah. yeah um so the um the whole um thing with the making of solaris as well he felt really pressured you know to deliver um something that was really a cheap sci-fi a uh, version of 2001 you know so rather than having ornate sets that show your city you know whatever he mm-hmm. him and his crew uh, went off to japan to shoot a section that they thought was the most sci-fi looking place in the world right so this is a driving sequence in tarkovsky solaris where you're like whoa why are they suddenly driving through japan in the 19 like is it is it the late 70s yeah yeah late 70s like, yeah. yeah you're like it doesn't really look sci-fi at all there's all these japanese signs all over the place but right <laughs> you know he was he was compromised in in many ways by the limitations really of the thing but you know he was trying to do i guess he was trying to find a niche for himself where he could do metaphysical films mm-hmm. that that stuck underneath the web of of like soviet realism right mm-hmm. so if you do stuff about space you can talk about life and death and mortality and meaning and love and right. all these things and the soviet censors are not going to go yeah yeah but it's not about the workers right you know? right it's not, a, well, it's not that, a heroic story about the workers that i mean a similar thing has been done in the united states with things like star trek and twilight mm. zone where you basically are able to make these allegorical stories in a fantastical context and yeah, yeah. and uh, anybody who's really paying attention knows what you're actually talking about um mm. but they're able to kind of slip by and it's oh you know it's just a story about alien about confronting an alien race you know what does that have to do with you know <laughs> with the times we live in right yeah 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 well you know it was it was kind of fascinating how much he managed to sneak in. So in Solaris, there's it, Solaris is the name of this planet mm-hmm. that um, there's a sort of largely abandoned um, spacecraft that's orbiting scientifically, getting nowhere, finding out nothing about this planet. It turns out to be some kind of huge brain of some kind. Yeah. Some some, but it also has some strange powers because it can make images and people manifest. Um, so it can take the contents of your mind and your memories and turn them into real things. So it's plaguing the people on board the, the ship with with um, memories of their loved ones back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the protagonist, it's his ex-wife who unfortunately killed herself. Um, so it's this huge, it's just a clever way of looking at, you know, meaning in life, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What's and- the meaning and purpose in life? And is there something beyond us, whether it's a, you know, 
an all-knowing planet or whether it's God or something, all things that were very sneaky for a Soviet filmmaker to be doing. Right. Well, and probably wrestling with the Soviet enforced materialism and yeah, taking yeah. that, stretching that as far as you possibly could, and then reaching into the mystic, even in that under the mm-hmm. regime enforcing that. Yeah. Totally. And very, very cunning the way that it. it's no wonder that his diaries, when you read them, they're so fraught, you know, he's, he's always struggling. Yeah. Everything's always on the point of collapse, you know, and somehow, that's, that's yeah. the one thing I noticed in doing the research on him. It's like mm. nothing ever happened easily ever yeah. in the career of Andre Tarkovsky. Like not even when he got out of even when he got out of the Soviet Union, it didn't really yeah, get yeah. any easier for him. I mean, he didn't have to deal with the same the same constraints, but he had whole other he had a sets whole of bunch problems. of other things. There's there's an amazing bit of of um documentary footage of the making of nostalgia mm-hmm. which was hold on just after stalker is that right? yeah between stalker and and the sacrifice yep that's yeah. right yeah so it was the first film he did when he uh he'd i wish i had the name for it he'd run away from the soviet yeah. union yeah. and he wasn't allowed back <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, it's it's it's, it's Exi- not- self-exile self-exiled yeah, yeah it's not it's uh, the name will come to me anyway yeah. So he's working with an Italian film crew and he's going to them through a translator. He says, I need a hundred feet of fate, fake fog, you know, <laughs> all over that field. And the Italians are going, nah, don't be silly. Don't be silly. And he's pulling his hair out going, Oh God, I can't work with these Italians. I can't right. work. What have I done? I should have right. stayed in the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine so, that? Oh, I should have got, should have stayed in the Soviet I Union. And then I could have seen my son and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a little note in his diary where he says, after he finishes um, mirror, he says, I think that's it for me. I'm going to give up and learn how to write books. Mm. And, then, and then you go, ah, oh, right. You're just about to do stalker, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, right. Just... You know, it's, you know, a masterpiece. It's like he had no idea that, mm-hmm. that. Um, which would then go on to be. I mean, that was maybe the most fraught of all his productions was was stalker, right? So oh, God, I imagine yeah, yeah. he probably quit. He probably quit briefly. Quit making movies after every film he made. I, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it. There was nothing more fraught than Stalker. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. folk listening sort of know the overall story of Stalker. Do they? Uh, yeah, they would. Uh, yeah, if they listened to the core episode, that they, they would know. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, um, three explorers in this wasteland trying to get to the place called the Room, mm-hmm. and the actual filming of it. They did, I think, six months of filming uh, in an entirely different environment, which was much more like a like a desert. Mm-hmm. Um, not the green verdant, you know, foliage covered place that you see in what's basically the reshoot. Um, but um, so they sent it, it, they were so far away from Moscow that they bundled all the stuff together and, and these to save money, they sent it in one batch mm-hmm. to the labs and the labs um, processed it thinking it was slide film. And it was actually negative film or something like that. So yeah, it was a it was yeah. at the time it was a new it was a, it was new, a new format from Kodak, and I don't think yeah, they knew how yeah. to handle it. And it may have been a bad batch Whoa. of film too. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. spoiled the whole thing. Yeah, you know what? I discovered there's some uh, there's some images and some little bits of film of it that and if if the negs still exist, which I doubt it. Yeah, 
it's like sorry to super nerd on the whole thing yeah. but i would love to see that footage and like oh it, i would totally it, watch it, that it could be it could be digitally treated to bring it yeah. back now you know oh sure that's yeah that's the thing now is you yeah you could probably color grade it and you know as long as it isn't just completely shot um yeah, you probably yeah. could you probably could restore it but you know it's funny because the 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 writing of it um the writing of it was similar. I mean, he brought on the uh, the the brothers who'd written Roadside Picnic, and yeah. I had read at one point that they wrote eighteen drafts. But I was recently mm-hmm. reading another interview with one of the brothers, and it was more like eight drafts. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, Tarkovsky would just read the script, and then he would basically say to them, "Yeah, this isn't it," but he wouldn't give them any direction on what he wanted. Right. No, and yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's kind of the way he worked with actors as well, though. Oh my you know? god! Right. So he had this this law of never interpreting the mm. script for the actors. You, you you never say, "Well, this is the bit where you're feeling like this," right? And then the next scene, where you're going to go on and you're going to feel like that. He he never did that at all. He had to let them find it for themselves. Yeah, and and he would have real problems with that. There was an interesting anecdote about the guy who plays Chris Calvin, the the lead of Solaris. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah, remember yeah. the the actor's name, but but he uh, Tarkovsky was really disappointed in his performance or or didn't like how it was going. Um, and that actor was always asking, well, what's my motivation here? He was doing that sort of typical right. thing yeah, we think yeah, of as yeah. actors is doing yeah. as, as to, in my opinion, seems like a natural part of their work, trying to figure sure. out how, what does the director want? Mm-hmm. And, um, and Tarkovsky, you know, hated that. And he apparently yeah, yeah. would spread a rumor amongst the crew that he was extremely disappointed in the actor's performance. And he did that intentionally to make the guy feel insecure, like to put that pressure on. He wanted him to feel unsecure, insecure and uncertain and not like he didn't know what he was doing. Shades yeah. of Cu- shades of Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, if you're going to get someone... Yeah, no, actually, that might be the best way to get an actor to look like they're actually on a space station. Right. Like If they're just completely freaked out that no one likes yeah. them and they don't know what they're doing and everything's dangerous. Like, yeah. I mean, he does manifest that sort of edgy, I don't want to be here quality. He, he does. He's from sweating. Him. You know, he's kind of sweating all the time yeah. and he's sort of, yeah, absolutely. It works. Now you could just make him scroll Twitter for six hours every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That certainly can wipe out an entire day of my life. If I ever yeah. would do that, <laughs> 20 minutes. What mm. do you, so I, I want to ask you, you, and as a writer, you know, what do you make of, and you've worked, you've got mm-hmm. something being at, uh, adapted now you've adapted your own what do you make yeah. of tarkovsky's methods of adapting <laughs> these books because a lot of his stuff uh, solaris stalker i mean i guess everything else he more or less wrote or co-wrote but yeah you... again i think he was very naughty and as much as he would get locked off script and there all the bureaucrats would agree on it and then he'd change it when they were shooting without telling anyone <laughs> so there's a beautiful section in in um stalker when the stalker is sort of in a sort of exhausted dream state and he starts to give this beautiful talk about how um how life or life where people are like trees that that when they're old they become brittle and when they're young they're they can bend and they can adapt to anything and it's a line from the Tao Te Ching which is you know the the uh, bible of Taoism mm-hmm. um or rather it's a long piece that's taken from there and he's just plopped right. it in there and the actor's gone off with it and and really you know there's there's quite a lot of improvisation i think this is the thing that people don't really can't really duplicate 
Um, I know that Gus Van Sant had a good shot at doing the Tarkovsky mixture of improvisation and planned camera. I mean, usually when you have planned camera, really complex maneuvers on 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 tracks and and dollies and and um, which Tarkovsky which Tarkovsky sometimes did. Or often oh yeah, no, he was yeah. he was ace at those things. Um, you've usually got to have the actors really well blocked for that, like tape marks, the ground mark in the X. So they go place B, place B, place C, but he would mm. never do that. He was against any kind of blocking. He had to let the actors do things for themselves. Yeah. So you have this almost impossible combination of the two things. And somehow he managed to pull it off. Right. It's, it really is almost impossible because if you've got a roaming camera, you have to have the actress hitting those spots. Right. And um, he was doing long takes too. I mean, very long. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. You, you, I, I know the one that really, there's a, there's a number of them, but the one that really strikes me is it's, I guess it's the opening shot of the sacrifice where mm. they've got the tree at the beach and then it like goes all the way to the house. I don't think there's a single cut in there. And there's, there's a guy, mm. the postman is riding his bike in a circle around them. The conversation feels very natural. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Little, and it's clearly not blocked. Yeah. A little kid fastens a rope, I think, onto the back of the bike, and that's then right. All this, yeah, yeah, all these shenanigans, and then you've got the I think eight or nine minute take at the end, not to be a spoiler alert, but yeah, yeah, um, that's extraordinary as well, and 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 deeply choreographed. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, they let they for people who, who we spoiled it, a house, a building burns down in one yeah. shot from beginning yeah. to end, yeah. There's yeah, a lot of amazing. flames in Tarkovsky. I was just watching some of Andrei Rublev again, and there's the beautiful scene in Rublev where they're making the bell out of poured metal that's been, you know, poured into clay molds in the Middle Ages, and it's just this huge fire. I mean, I think that's one of the big things about Tarkovsky is these living processes that happen in real time. Mm -hmm. That's like a uniquely Tarkovskyan thing. I think mm. that, that that other people have taken from it back to your question though yeah about the adaptations that he did of the books i don't rate the books as highly as i rate the films mm -hmm. so i think he took fairly dry sci-fi novels so roadside picnic became stalker solaris became solaris there was very little emotion and mysticism and 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 love in those books but there's just tons of it in the in the movie adaptations, mm. you know, um, you maybe get some of the aesthetics in Solaris, the book, but it's a cold, dry read, you know, mm. in, in comparison. So I think he, um, yeah, he does that again. He's always a, a director of, of um, contradictions. On the one hand, you've got loose tracking shots with improvised behavior impossible. And on the yeah. other hand, you've got, you've got, metaphysics and you've got deep emotion you know which the two things can be completely irreconcilable but he manages to pull the two things together in his movies mm. so you find yourself sort of weeping about mortality i guess that's the combination isn't it between metaphysics and emotion mm. sure. yeah another film that struck me like mirror which admittedly i need to properly screen but uh it was it reminded me of persona yeah 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 mm. Brad, should I? Yeah, go ahead. He was a huge Bergman fan, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it makes mm. sense. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Should we um, ask Ewan about uh, 
what one of our Telegram people wanted to ask. Should I? Oh, feed I don't. That I, question I missed. In? I missed. That. Oh, see, Go I want to. I want to make sure I get that in. So we have an active yeah. Telegram at t.me/slash Art of Dark Pod, and our friend Nephilim in there. He commanded that we ask. He says, <laughs> "Ask him about the place of poetry and philosophy in cinema." And he goes on a little uh, more, mm-mm. and I'll read it. Uh, he says, because for me, in Tarkovsky, as also in French movies from the 60s through the 80s, explicit use of them, poetry and philosophy, mm-hmm. harm the film. Mm-hmm. He says, by being said in dialogue, do you think trees have consciousness? Do they feel the same way as we do? Uh, well, the implicit use of it brings the movies up to a higher level of masterpiece. So he's just sort of wondering about the place of poetry and philosophy in cinema. How do we feel about overtly including it? Because I think it seems to work in Tarkovsky. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. It seems to work in in Tarkovsky, but it's pretty mortifying when you come across it elsewhere because it Mm. comes across as an attempt by the director to elevate the intellectual level right. of, of what's going on it comes across as pretentious but i think you know specifically in mirror there's two poems by tarkovsky's father arseny tarkovsky and they're read and this rhythmic dreamlike sort of way. oh there's a poem in stalker as well actually mm-hmm. um um again by tarkovsky's father again not in the script <laughs> <laughs> but i think tarkovsky does it i think he just lulls you into this sort of sleep-like, dream-like state where you're going to accept a bunch of things that are not quite normal anyway. And the voiceovers, voiceover poems tend to just sort of flow with the images, the way the images are flowing. And I think some of, so there's the beautiful section in Mirror where there's there's a poem and you're watching wind through trees and then wind blowing over some bread and a glass on a table and, and then children running and, and you're wondering what's the connection between the two things. And you're like, you know, I don't even care because it's yes. so, it's so beautiful and the reading is so beautiful. So you're in this sort of, I guess it's non-illustrative. That's the main thing. It's to go with the dreamlike state in Tchaikovsky. And I think when, when other directors try to include poetry, it tends to be a bit, look at me, you know, I'm yeah. being clever. And tends yeah. to a bit, a bit illustrative. Or, you know, or, you know, some people will include philosophy for, for a laugh, like Hal Hartley, you know, used to do quite a lot of, you know, existentialism in there, but it was funny. Mm-hmm. So I think there always has to be some, you know, whether it's to take it into the dreamlike state or to take it into humor, there are ways you can, you can sneak these things in or, or, or use them to bring another level, I guess, to the filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I think. I'll I mean, I think it's on that. Mm-hmm. I think it works. I, I, you're you're totally right, though. I mean, it's it would be very easy in lesser hands for some of that mm-hmm. stuff to feel sort of tacked on, even like, oh, yeah, well, now yeah. they're going to tell me about. Well, you, you see know? it a lot now, <laughs> yeah. where it's it's almost become a save the cat level type trope, right. where ah, oh, the character's reading Camus. Like right. the care, the, the do you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, it's that kind of movie. This is like oh. Save the Cat 5.0. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like, right. don't yeah. save the cat, get right. them reading Camus instead. Yeah. yeah where it's, it's like, it's like the first draft of the screenplay just said in that part, something meaningful here. We'll get, we'll, we'll get <laughs> right, right, something right. meaningful in there later. Yeah. 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 But I don't well, think know, Tarkovsky uses it cheaply. Yeah. Go on, you. 
No, for sure. You know, I think that there's a whole issue of memes anyway. Like, you know, today's memes just flood the internet with things that sound intelligent mm. or thoughtful. Mm, that sounds really clever. It's only two right. sentences. And one of the things that freaks me out and makes me laugh about memes is how many of them are misattributed. You know, so they're just given to the wrong philosopher completely. <laughs> so you got you yeah. you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Uh, you know, when you when you plop these things in, you might be doing mm -hmm. it. You or might you might be uh, you might uh, you might stop at a period, and what you don't realize is in the original text, the next sentence basically counters that or inverts it somehow. I know. Right? Then you then you're gonna look like an ass because there'd be mm -hmm. some person in the audience on their phone going, "That wasn't a quote by Plato, actually." <laughs> uh, I'm sure we've I'm sure we've committed a few of those. Oh, why, not? Our yeah, why not? But I think as as writers here, we all aspire to be misattributed <laughs> later in life. Oh, you know, to be popular. Yeah, to be popular yeah. enough to be misattributed would be fantastic. <laughs> that yeah. sounds good, right? That yeah. sounds absolutely yeah. good. It yeah, feels it, like I, I would have said that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. But see, there's moments for me, there's moments in these films that I think do fall into the sort of philosophical, the poetic moments that you mentioned, Ewan, mm. but also like, man, there's a... It, I keep coming back to the sacrifice and since i watched mm -hmm. it um i watched it was the last thing i watched before we did our our main episode and i had never seen it before and i it mm. just i keep thinking about it um but it's sort of at the beginning or at the end wait how does it even work now at some point the little man the boy says mm. what do they mean in the beginning was the word Mm. And there's just this moment to me that is like it's one sentence. It's sort of philosophical. It's mm. not plots by any means. Like it doesn't. The movie yeah, yeah. is fine without the movie as a narrative is fine without it. But I find that incredibly evocative. Right, just coming out of mm. this boy who hasn't said anything else throughout the movie. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I I guess just wanted to put my two cents in. I the the poetry stays in the picture. That's what I say. <laughs> There's this um, there's this great sort of philosophical undercurrent in nostalgia as well. You know, mm. so the story is about a Russian translator who's investigating the uh, trip that another Russian composer took a hundred years ago. He's writing a book on it. He's getting a bit bored of being in Italy and pining for home, and he's terribly sick. And he meets this mad ranting man who'd hidden his children away because he thought the apocalypse was coming. Mm. And there's this actual brilliant philosophical speech philosophical and political speech at the end of nostalgia where the madman gives the talk in a square in rome and throws all these pages in the air and sets fire to himself on the back of a statue of i think marcus aurelius mm. um but he's talking about basically a lot of the things that we talk about today which is technological alienation and how we don't see each other anymore. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful speech, and it's, it's minutes long. Um, so that was an example, I guess. There's another way to get philosophy um, into, into a movie, is to, or politics even, is to have someone ranting and saying fire to themselves at the end of it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, if you can pair or, you it know, with a dramatic action of some kind, yeah, then it yeah. immediately it bonds it, to, it bonds it to the narrative. In a, yeah in a potent way for sure. for sure there's like consequences of the belief then it's not ah. just it's not just the director who's just telling you something yeah sure i think one of the arch examples of that one of the great examples of that is uh naked um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with with david thulis uh well, for what it's that's yeah. a that's a hard going film about nihilism isn't it 
Indeed it is. Yeah. yeah with yeah. with consequences. God, yeah. in fact, now I that I think, yeah, no, he he he's ruined by his own lack of faith in anything. Mm-hmm. And just that sarcastic knee-jerk reaction that the Thulis character has in Naked. He just can't stop insulting people and putting them down. And, and all the time he's basically telling them, your life is shit and meaningless. Like that yeah. guy, he winds up, he says, what kind of job are you doing? It's just a, a security guard. Yeah. He goes, he goes, a monkey could do that with a stick. It's like, you walk around here, you check in your time, monkey could do it with a stick. Uh, I think the guy chases him out, maybe even beats him up. But I mean, you get a sense Thulis has it coming. You know, mm-hmm. indeed. Well, mm-hmm. taking us a bit of field, but yeah, it can be done. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think when there's, I think when you got a philosophical theme, then you'd have to talk philosophy, you know, mm. to, to some degree. Yeah. I mean, some of it can be embodied, certainly, but there's always going to be, there's always, it's always complex. I mean, mm. um, in, in, and there are ways of finding your way to it. Right. Um, but yeah. I think that's why Tarkovsky tried and tried and tried to get funding to do uh, two books by Dostoevsky because Dostoevsky, yeah, Crime and Punishment and um, wasn't Karamazov. I think it was The Idiot. It was The Idiot. It was mm-hmm. The Idiot indeed. Um, yeah, because Dostoevsky's philosophical questions are always so grounded in, in, their, in their protagonist problems, you know? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he's he's a sort of a ma- Dostoevsky is a master of that of embodying those things. Absolutely, it would have been quite something to have had the old uh, Dostoevsky Tarkovsky yeah. combo. <laughs> it would, it would, it would have, have been. been it would have been. It would have been a good team. Although yeah. you know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think Can it I- would. I think it would have been good. Can I ask you? I'm going to assume hmm. that you are you are uh, familiar with this book, Sculpting in Time. Uh, I'm indeed. I might even have it here. here we okay. Go. Okay. Uh, can, well, can I ask? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I'm assuming you you. Uh, it's a thumbs up. But what? Yeah. How, how? What does that book mean to you? What What do you make of it? Well, it's it's full of just beautiful quotes that you can lift mm-hmm. out. You know, which which really get you to think about. It. The nature. Well, I guess it's a meditation on the nature of art and the nature of cinema. And he also talks within it specifically about his films, but he talks about big, unfashionable things, which are really challenging for us these days. So, like, for example, there's this quote here. We've got just how offensive is this, right? We have almost totally lost sight of the beautiful as a criteria of art. In other words, of the aspiration to express the ideal, every age is marked by the search for truth. Mm. Truth, and, truth and beauty. My God, you'd get lynched today for saying such things. Right. He sounds like a reactionary. <laughs> yeah, right. He does. He does. He'd be a, a, a spicy anon on, yeah. the, on the bird website. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just crazy that you read that i i had marked out a couple passages in here just mm. in case they seemed appropriate and that was that's the one i had my page open to weirdly Holy enough smoke. which is a tarkovskian kind of correspondence or coincidence for sure oh, um, i feel really left out yeah there's a couple of my favorite there's a couple of things in there that i've really sunk I, and i'm just gonna mm. fanboy on that book for a minute there's a and you're right. There are so many moments that you could just pull out a few sentences and 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 they're the kinds of things you could, you know, put on a little postcard and just yeah, have yeah. sitting about. Um, totally. A couple of my favorite ones. He, he, he has a he has a passage or a bit about um, 
pushing back on the notion that he makes experimental or has made experimental yeah, yeah. films. And I mm. love that where he's sort of like, just because you've never seen anything like it before doesn't mean it was an experiment. I wouldn't have put it out if it didn't work. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think that's him taking a dig at, uh, you know, Russian constructivism and Russian structuralism, you know, I can't pronounce his name, Vertov, you know, mm -hmm. um, and the man with the movie camera and that noble tradition of, of Russian experimentation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. And also he might've even been taking a bit of a swipe at being stuck in art house cinemas with experimental films in the 1960s and seventies, you know? Yeah. I have to imagine there was a moment where mm. like Tarkovsky watched like a Stan breakage film and was a like, Stan breakage film was, was like, like what? <laughs> or, a, or a Kenneth Anger, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, just like, yeah. or maybe yeah. even the Kuchar brothers. <laughs> yeah, we gotta <laughs> we gotta say rest in peace or whatever he wants for for Kenneth Anger, for Kenneth who just Anger. recently That's passed right. away. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll eventually cover him. I don't know; yeah. he's probably rocking out in hell right now, yeah. having yeah. a having a wonderful time. But yeah, rest in I'm peace. Mm -hmm. um, hell was built for that man. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I also wanted to ask you, and, and this is I've been pondering this since we did our first episode. And Kevin, you may remember me bringing this up. So in the in the biography or one of the biographies, this book, uh, uh, A Life on the Cross by mm. Ludmila Boyadzeva, she makes the claim that Tarkovsky is diagnosable as autistic. And I, I'm not expecting you to diagnose the man, but I'm just curious, <laughs> like I say that what is does that? Well, you know, I think there's two things at work here, right? Mm. So one is the very contemporary problem of having to di retro diagnose post hoc all artists with mental, you know, conditions right. of one kind or another. Right. So I just checked it out today. Autism include including Michelangelo, Van Gogh, Bjork, Mozart, Michael Jackson, Beethoven, and Eminem. Right. One website claiming they're all autistic, but none have been diagnosed. Right. We should all be so lucky as to be autistic, apparently. Well, I mean, if that's yeah. the company that you get to keep, <laughs> right. you know, but, you know, I think what's happening here is they're just describing incredibly life focused artists. Right. You know, right. I mean, like I'm like focused for life, like mm -hmm. life's not as important as the art you make. So I think those are artists who are not just profoundly committed and devoted but they they survive through the art that they make mm -hmm. and i think to reduce that to autism or autism spectrum is just a little limiting yeah oh i'm um, glad i'm glad you said that because i read that too and it was like well it does feel like you're diminishing somehow this character like part of the reason we do these shows are these figures are fascinating human stories mm -hmm. about what what a kind of person can be, you know, whether yeah. or not they have some diagnosable condition. And in some respect, I don't care if you can diagnose it. Right. No, um, indeed. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's interesting to look at the history of, the, of, of, you know, retro diagnoses of Van Gogh because right. every generation, there's a brand new trend in, in, uh, in mental health diagnostics and every generation he gets a new thing added, you know, <laughs> right. so he was bipolar and right. then no, that got replaced by borderline personality disorder and mm. that it's schizoaffective disorder. And mm. then no, actually maybe he just had, you know, major depression and ADHD, which mm. has become very popular again. And now they're also saying he's autistic. I mean, if right. he's all, it can't be all these things. Right. And if he can't be all these things, it's highly possible. He's not any of them. Mm, interesting. Yeah. 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 Right. 
I think that's interesting. And 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 then there, it, I mean, it also kind of brings up this thing, sort of medicalizing these people. It's like mm. I'm always interested in the the. Okay, so say he does fit these criteria. You've got, I mean, most of these conditions are a checklist of you know behaviors or responses mm. to things, right? That's how they do. It's not nobody is nobody is uh, 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 sticking a light in your ear and saying, "Oh, yep, autism." Uh, there's, you know, I found the autism part. Yeah, uh, sure, and sure. you know, is are these things even distinguishable from the personality traits that allow mm. somebody like Tarkovsky to be Tarkovsky? I mean, he was obsessive, right? Um, obsessive, but you, you know, have to be to make yeah. film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also to be someone who believes in spirituality, I guess we can say that about Tarkovsky. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. I'm um, uh, in a very anti-spiritual, you know, materialist empire that he was living mm -hmm. with within the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And then for him to find out when he got spat out the other side and into young capitalist Europe that was all very Americanized, there was a lack of spirituality there as well. So, I mean, this is a person struggling and obsessive, I think, about trying to represent his own spiritual cravings and insights in a world that didn't really give a damn about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that would really ratchet up the, the obsessiveness for an artist and the urgency, you know? Yeah, well, and, and sure. this is a this is a known type as well. I think you touched on it uh, during the core episode, Brad. The Russian mystic is mm -hmm. a it's a thing, and he seemed to embody that or to whatever to exhibit that. Um, and, and this is a bit of a pivot, but I kind of want to take it here. How do we feel? How do you both feel about him as a representative of? the Russian soul, the Russian character. I know we're, we're Westerners such mm. as it is. Right. And Russia is always presented as kind of out there or over mm. there. Mm. I don't per personally feel that way. Uh, but that's sort of how it's framed. So I, you know, do we feel like Tarkovsky's a, an accurate or solid representation or is he more the exception that gives us unique insight into maybe a people that, you know, we're told we can't, or we, sh you know, we might not even want to understand. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of the Russian mysticism tradition, he was soaked in it all the way back mm. to doing his, um, his movie about Andrei Rublev, you know, the medieval, you know, Russian Orthodox painter. Um, and he depicts the crisis of faith that Rublev goes through. And then his father as well was a kind of mystical poet. Mm. Um, uh, and there's so much in Tarkovsky about land and about the sort of spiritual embodiment of grass and trees and homes and fire and rain and all these material things that he sort of brings to life in this amazing kind of sonorous soundscape where you're listening to the world and quite surprised by it because it has this presence. I think there's definitely... Whether it's Russian mysticism or whether it's just mysticism, I don't know. But there's, I think, if we were to characterize, you know, the Russian soul, it would be mysticism with deep melancholy. And I think you definitely get that within Tarkovsky. There's this sort of this immense yearning that sort of takes in everything from, you know, a planet billions of light years away, or you know, however far right. Solaris is away. Right. Like little blades of grass and bugs mm -hmm. and the flow of water. It's like it's like he's he's trying to find the same, sorry, the same um, energy or force, living force within all these things. 
in his films. You know, so like, for example, the use of wind that, you know, wind and fire that appears in his movies. Mm-hmm. He's kind of saying, look at these things as I sculpt them in time, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, look at these things alive. What is it for these things to be living, you know? I'm force guiding them, you know? Mm. I'm so struck by his use of the elements. It's actually, it's weirdly my fixation in films and in, in narrative is how is the creator using, making use of the elements. Um, and I, I make the argument that in every great epic, you have to have all four play a prominent role in some scene or another. And if you watch, you go back and watch. And it's not true of, of sort of mm. kitchen sink dramas and that kind no, of thing. No, but no. but anything that has like some real scale to it, um, it's always there. And Tarkovsky's always doing that. There's always a water scene or, yeah. or scenes. With, and there's always a land scene of soil of soil or rock or in Stalker. It's often like concrete or something um, and fire and air wind it's oh and he's he knows exactly what these things i i don't even want to say the word mean because to say what Mm -hmm. they mean is to suggest Mm -hmm. there's some one-to-one relationship to something else and i think he'd avoid he'd avoid that Mm -hmm. uh, because he wanted he wanted you to sort of more enter a state it was all about creating states of 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 i guess even contemplation sounds too, you know, right brain, you know, mm-hmm. um, um, it's, it's more just trance. I trance. Yeah. There's yeah. 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 On. No, yeah. they're definitely, definitely trance. Like, like, so in stalker, you get those incredible shots over those, pa- those passages of water and you're looking at all the things underneath the coins, the fragments of tiles, there's a gun, there's some syringes, mm-hmm. there's some mildew. Mm. And you're getting taken off into this sort of trance-like state. Yeah, definitely. In fact, you can look at these films as sort of bits of narrative between the trance states. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he was so he was so so fascinated by the trance state he could create. I think. Yeah, that's very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, and he's always he's always finding that all the films ha- are able. The driving scene that you talked about, driving through Tokyo, that's a bit of a yeah. trance, a, dr- a trance yeah. state. Solaris has a bunch of them. I mean, I'm always moved by even in Solaris, the opening scenes where Chris Calvin mm-hmm. is at the farmhouse or whatever we call it, and he's he's looking into the pond with the sort of waving reeds. Um, yeah. There's all kinds of moments like that where. I'm going to get, you know, you got to get stuck in it. What does it mean? What is he trying to tell you? It's like kind of shut yeah. up. <laughs> let yeah, it, let I know. it happen and, to you. <laughs> you know, and today you'd have, you'd have, you know, producers would be leaning over his shoulder going, yeah, but it's not because they've all read Save the Cat. They're right. Going, yeah, where's the cat in the first 10 minutes, you know, right. or the child or the, the yeah. thing he's got to do to, to establish that the protagonist is a good ethical right. Unlikable character, right? And, uh, you, it's you, so you, American. Yeah. What are the <laughs> and, yeah? And what are the what are the stakes here? What are the stakes in this scene? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, just thinking <laughs> at the start of Stalker, it sets up that he's going to sneak away and leave his wife behind, but he gets caught. Mm-hmm. So it's like the opposite of of the American um, setup, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's like, a good this point. guy's this guy's mean. He's a son of a bitch. <laughs> I I love movies about mean sons of bitches. Uh, <laughs> taxi driver, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> Cinema seems to me to be. I mean, thank goodness that Tarkovsky, uh, as a soul or as a being, however you want to frame it, was embodied at the time that he was. That he had this art form mm. uh, to to sort of to realize his creative vision. I wonder 
if he had been born a century earlier, if he had if he would have been drawn to theater or probably to literature, he probably would have written. But mm. cinema has the, has that unique ability to um, mm. evo- evoke the dream. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it does beg the question that you know, had had Tarkovsky lived, you know, w- would he have been able to cope after? making the sacrifice instead of dying of cancer if he went on to live through the 80s and 90s would he would he have would he have liked the world around him would he have would his financing have dried up would it have been possible for him to survive in the west would he have run back to russia after the berlin wall fell would yeah, he, would he have been? Would he have been? You know, welcome with open arms. There's, there's now a Tarkovsky monument over there in Russia, which is kind of ironic since they were so shitty to him, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think he'd really have struggled to get financing, like others of his time. You know, Godard really struggled, and Godard went off down a real little niche thing and just became like a little videographer of his own oddities you know and Antonioni as well he find it hard to get financing Vim Vendors also really struggled um that's I, crazy you make Paris I, Texas and then right. you yeah I know, yeah I know but I think the big mistake he, he did was he, he became friends with Bono you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, like, and like Bono is the kiss of death for most. Of it. <laughs> you know? So, so, so then he was like, "Yeah, Bono, he's going to direct a script by Bono, which was, oh. was it far away, so close." Oh, I don't was, know. I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was like all the music for you two just flooded into Vim Vendor's movies, mm. and he, for like five years he just became like Bono's sidekick. You know? Uh, yeah, just, I didn't uh, know that. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. What a way! To, what a way to go down in flames, man. Yeah. <laughs> that that song that they shoved on the iPhone will still sometimes play when I get in my car, and I got to figure out how to make it stop. Yeah, That's I really terrible. do. Yeah, oh, I, I, they really should have. What a been, disaster! They really, you know, I think these days to do that to to hack into everyone's phone in the world and implant something, I think that would be in breach of the Patriot Act now. Yeah. (laughs) Or like the Cyber Securities Act. Sure. It's one of the greater cultural crimes. It doesn't seem like a big deal if you're sitting in a marketing room and you're like, oh, what do we... But really, like, what what an invasion. Yeah, we've made a terrible mistake, Dot GIF. I know we're bringing this in. This is another one of these dark rooms where I know we could talk with our guest, uh, Ewan, for (laughs) another two hours easily here and we are we're going to come back for another 20 30 minutes on the after dark brad what do you have teed up yeah i you know sometimes i pull like an anecdote or something for this i didn't quite do that one thing i want to i want to talk a little bit about is a little bit more about time in tarkovsky Mm -hmm. films tarkovsky's theories of time i've got some bits that i can read but i think we'll be able to just talk about it and then Mm -hmm. i also want to i want to ask you and a little bit related to Tarkovsky, but maybe more generally, mm. the sort of perennial question about separating the art from the artist, because we learned in our core episode that Tarkovsky, genius though he was, um, would be best avoided 
mm-hmm. in his personal life. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And I just want, you know, I know Kevin has thoughts about this sort of thing. I know I do. It's part of this, the secret don't tell anybody thesis of our entire show. But I, I, I just want to kind of explore that with you, Ewan, as it relates to Tarkovsky. So um, we'll talk a little bit about those things and then whatever else yeah. comes up. Yeah. Great. Great fun. Really yeah. exciting and uh, wonderful to meet you. This is this has been a pleasure so far. We're going to do more of it on the yeah. After Dark. And pa- where and do you people and, get it, Brad? Sorry. Hey, I got to go. Patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod. I'm going to say it one more time. Patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod. We're trying to get to half a Crowley this year. This year. 333 patrons. We're mm-hmm. doing it. We're making it happen. We just did the live show. Check it out. <laughs> Brad, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to, I wanted to give you an opportunity, you know, to, to do any self promo he wants. If he, if he doesn't want to do any, we're going to have links in the show notes. Oh, you know, spoil me and don't, don't let me, don't make me do it myself. Okay. Yeah, don't do that, it. That, that stop, be, stop promoting yourself. Fantastic. Stop yeah, it yeah. right now. It's the new, it's the new way to promote yourself. It's, it's I love to, it. Just, it's to refuse. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the- <laughs> Follow the man on Twitter and help him get his next viral tweet about (laughs) Russian art cinema. Mm -hmm. Really, this is how we save the culture. I'm Mm -hmm. not even kidding. If you can Mm -hmm. get somebody to go, who? Tarkovsky? They check it out. Maybe it opens up some young person's world, some old person's world. We're we're genuinely all about that on on Art of Darkness. So we'll put a link to his uh, Twitter account in the show notes. But you and you just want to say your, your Twitter handle? Oh yeah, it's uh, Mr. Ewan Morrison.com. Brilliant, Mr. Well, I'm gonna go uh, during the short break here before we come back for the after dark. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm hold gonna on, go it's in. Mr. Ewan Morrison. There's no dot com on it. It's just Mr. No, Ewan. Mr. Ewan Morrison. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got it. It'll be <laughs> in the show notes. That. You can't miss it. Yeah, no <laughs> worries. And uh, yeah, but so I'm gonna go downstairs. I'm gonna I'm gonna light a cigarette. So we got <laughs> fire. I'm mm-hmm. gonna open the window. We got wind. wind. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna drink a glass of water. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and I'm going to pet my pet rock. And I'm proving you wrong, Brad. A kitchen sink drama can have all the elements. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Film it. We'll see. We'll see if it's I'll, interesting. I'll write one one day. Okay. Right. I like it. I like it. We'll be back. Cheers. Cheers.